when we say God is good, it's more than just a simple phrase. It's more than just a nice statement about God's character. When we say God is good, we mean something very substantial. When we say God is good, we mean that he is actually the standard and the essence of all that is good. We mean that he defines who and what good is. You ever heard of a man by the name of Alan Gardner? You ever heard of him? I don't imagine many of you have, maybe one or two. If you like to read about missionaries that have passed away. He was one of God's faithful men who said in the midst of his last days that God is good. He experienced many physical difficulties and hardships throughout his service to Christ. And despite his troubles, he said, while God gives me strength, failure will not daunt me. In 1851, at age 57, he died of disease and starvation while serving on Picton Island at the southern tip of South America. When his body was found, his diary lay nearby, and it bore a record of hunger, thirst, wounds, and a loneliness. The last entry in the little book showed the struggle of his shaking hand as he tried to write legibly. It read, I'm overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. It's a man who gave his life serving Christ, dying of starvation, able to say at the end, I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Can we say that in our day-to-day lives, that we're overwhelmed by the goodness of God? Is this a truth that readily flows from our lips because it comes from the wellspring and the heart that is within us? I pray that it is. And today, as we look at Psalm 136, we're looking at a psalm that declares God is good. And so this morning, I want us to see the, the great truth in this psalm about the faithfulness of God. This psalm is what's known as the great Hallel. The Hallel Psalms are Psalms 120 through 136. They're also known as the Psalms of Ascent. And as the children of Israel would journey from wherever they were, through the valley, through the lands, on their way to Jerusalem, God's city, to climb and ascend Mount Zion, to worship God in His holy temple, and to be in God's presence, they would sing these songs. And Psalm 136 is thought to be the the height, the high point of their worship as they would would go into the presence of the temple, into God's mighty presence. And as they would do that, they would sing this antiphonal psalm. And this antiphonal psalm, it's a psalm where they would be in the temple court and they would hear the Levite choirs singing back and forth to one another. So I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want to invite you uh, to stand, and we're going to read God's Word in the manner in which it was penned. And I've asked Dale to put on the screen the response. We, We all have several different versions, okay? And so what I wanted to do was catch the heart of the text, so I haven't Uh, This is the heart of the Hebrew text and the heart of what it says in your Bible. This is going to be the response, for his love has no end. All right? 
And so I'm going to say a line, and then you're going to repeat. And so we'll just go back and forth as we walk through the verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule by day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Shehan, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God, the God of heaven. You may be seated. So what's the theme of this psalm? For his love has no end. 26 times he repeats this theme. The steadfast love of God is on full display in this psalm. This morning as we approach this text, I want us to see God's faithfulness reaches beyond our worth. And he reaches beyond our worth to uphold his own divine plan for our good and his glory. This is what the Apostle Paul spoke of in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, when he said of God, if we, said of us and of God, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Every aspect and every moment of Israel's story hinges on God's steadfast love. The people of Israel were a faithless people, yet God in his faithfulness upheld his unconditional covenant with Abraham to preserve for himself a people who would love and who would cherish him. And so as we read through and will continue to read through this psalm this morning, notice that this psalm doesn't recount Israel's faithlessness. But it wholly focuses, completely focuses on God's faithfulness in spite of their faithlessness. And I want to encourage us this morning, friends. This is our story. This is our story, just like Israel. 
just like the psalmist, as we, the church, gather to worship and celebrate God's goodness today, our hearts also are are filled with great jubilation because every aspect of the church's story hinges on God's steadfast love. Because we too, just like the Israelites, have demonstrated with exponential contempt a failure to abide in the faithful, steadfast love of God. And yet, look around. Here we are, gathered today on another Lord's Day. We're gathered for worship. And this is because we know that even in spite of our own sin, God is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This isn't a charter for sin or a license for us to sin. Instead, this is an opportunity and the, the, the great mercy and grace of God that we can cast ourselves upon him, that we can come to him and know that he is faithful even when we fail. And for this reason, the psalmist, the people of Israel, are journeying to the temple to worship the Lord. And as they do, the psalmist begins the Hallel in verse 136, uh, in chapter one, or Psalm 136, verse 1, with saying, Give thanks to the Lord. He's saying that God is praiseworthy. He's praiseworthy. Why? Give thanks to the Lord because he is good, right? Because God is good. This is the principal reason for praising God. He's Yahweh. He's good. In fact, when you see in the English text written, LORD, in all caps, that is the name for God, Yahweh. And this speaks of God as the covenant God, the faithful God. And so when the text looks like, when the text has LORD in all caps, it's speaking of God as the faithful one of the covenant. And so Yahweh is the good God. He is God of the covenant. And the steadfast love of God is repeated as an anthem 26 times throughout this psalm. And it's repeated in such a way that it draws our focus and our attention on this word, chesed. Can you say that? Chesed. We had a fun time saying that in our family devotion when we went through the psalm. The kids enjoyed saying it. This word chesed, it's a word that's really untranslatable when when it's looked at from God's perspective. Because it it speaks to God's divine activity. It speaks to God's dealing with humanity. It's the covenant love and faithfulness of God. It encompasses a divine exercise where God is relational with his people. And it demonstrates that God is faithful to his covenant and he's faithful to his covenant people. So the psalmist declares here and he, he calls our attention to who Yahweh is. Yahweh is the good and faithful God whose covenant loyalty is endless. It endures forever. So verses 2 and 3 reinforce our understanding of who God is by stating that he is the God over all gods and he is the Lord over all lords. Not that there were many gods, not that the psalmist is saying there are many gods. He's simply saying that God is supreme. He is all-powerful. He is Lord of lords. He is over all things. He is the one true God, the sovereign ruler. And here's what he's so enamored with. He's so enamored with this, that God commits himself unconditionally to his people, that God doesn't abandon his promises to his people. And in Deuteronomy 10.17 
we read of this same language. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not not partial and takes no bribe. You see, the surrounding nations worshipped many gods. But Yahweh, Yahweh is the God over all. And he alone deserves the title Lord, God, no one else. No one else deserves a title and no one else can fill the role. For this reason, he is worthy of our praise. For this reason, as we gather this morning, God is worthy of your praise, of my praise. He's worthy of every thought that comes in our head. He's worthy of our obedience. But the psalmist continues inviting us to praise God because not only is God worthy, not only is he praiseworthy, God's good creation points us to his faithful covenant. God's good creation points us to his faithful covenant. God's goodness is first demonstrated in his creation. Look at verse 4. To him who alone does great wonders, he is the God of wonders. Here the psalmist focuses first on his mighty deeds of creation. This word, great wonders, it speaks of the supernatural work of God in creation. The psalmist has the Genesis account, creation account in mind, where he thinks back of how God created and said it was good. And he created and said it was good. And he created and he said it was good. And so he says in verse 5, to him who by understanding made the heavens... That is, with great wisdom and great understanding, God created. He made the heavens. He spread out the earth above the waters. He made the great lights, the sun and the moon and the stars. He is the faithful God over all creation. The God of creation, according to his divine plan, demonstrated his power and he demonstrated his wisdom, and he demonstrated his mercy toward us when he created the world. Proverbs 3, 19 and 20 speak to this. It says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. Friends, I want you to know this morning, like the psalmist, we too can celebrate God's faithfulness. We can celebrate God's faithfulness in creation by the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus Christ, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has demonstrated God's faithfulness to his people. Jesus became the personification of God's wisdom in creation. Listen to what John says in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then John 1, 3, all things were made through him. And without him, without who? Without the word. Without him was not anything made that was made. And then John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 30. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Do you hear that? Christ became to us wisdom from God. 
He has revealed the Father to us. And so we praise the faithful God of creation who demonstrated his power to bring something from nothing. And he demonstrated his wisdom to bring order from chaos. And he demonstrated his merciful plan for, as we sung earlier, the sun rises. And it rises on the just and the unjust. This is God's common grace toward mankind. So the psalmist invites us this morning to join in singing a song of worship and praise to God for his power, for his wisdom, and for his mercy as it's displayed the glory of his creation. Because the glory of his creation points us to see his everlasting faithfulness. God is faithful. We're invited to praise God along with the psalmist, not only because his good creation points us to his faithful covenant, but also because God's faithful deliverance is our salvation. God's faithful deliverance is our salvation. Notice how God is hailed in verses 10 through 22. The psalmist looks to God and says that he's worthy. He celebrates the mighty acts and the powerful deliverance of God. In verses 10 through 16, he delivers his covenant people from bondage to the Egyptians. In fact, the psalmist looks back and he reflects on Israel's story, recalling the tenth plague that visited the firstborn of all the people of Egypt. What a great and awesome miracle God performed in the midst of the Israelites when they were in captivity. For God, by the blood of a lamb, passed over the houses of Israel and took the life of the firstborn of every Egyptian. God spared his people by passing over, and he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the text says he did it with a strong hand in verse 12. He did it with an outstretched arm. He smote Pharaoh and the Egyptians in their arrogant defiance as they refused to let his people go. It's a terrible thing to align oneself against the God of heaven. And during the Exodus, as the Israelites stood on the bank of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army coming behind them, God powerfully divided the sea in two, making Israel pass through on dry ground. And when the Egyptian army entered after Israel, it says he overthrew them. The language of the Hebrew text highlights the great power of, by which God overthrew them, and the great powerlessness of God's enemies when they stand against him. It's as if God were shaking off someone that was holding on to his garment as the water crashed down on top of Pharaoh and his army. And in verse 16, they celebrate like a good shepherd. Verse 16 tells us that God led his people through the wilderness to the promised land. Now, in this psalm, they're not detailing all of the benefits and the great works and wonders of God, but they're capturing the high points, right? This song fuels their worship as they remember all that God has done for them and to them. In verses 17 through 22, he recounts God's faithfulness in giving them the promised land. 
He delivered them from the hand of the Amorite and, and Bashan kings. Those kings stood in the way of Israel, entering into the inheritance that the Lord had promised them. And so God fulfilled his promise to Abraham to provide a land and a place of rest for his people. And he blessed them in the land with great provision. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And so this is how they celebrated God as the great deliverer and provider. But I want you to know that similarly, the New Testament tells us of God's greatest act of deliverance and preservation for his people. And it's that which the Exodus Exodus and wilderness wanderings point us forward to. They, They point us forward to Christ, our deliverer and sustainer. Because you see, Christ has delivered us from the eternal weight of our condemnation, that is sin. For our sin problem is really not that much different than the Israelites. In fact, it's no different at all. Are the rest of humanity. We, like them, need to remember and to celebrate God's deliverance of us from our enemy. Listen, Scripture clearly speaks of who our enemy is, that he's Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the liar. He's the deceiver. He's the father of lies. But God, through Christ, has entered our humanity. And with, listen, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, he defeated sin and death and Satan by dying on the cross. And Christ drank the cup of God's wrath against our sin, and he died so that we might live. He became the curse of sin for us. And on the third day, he rose triumphantly. Then he shook off Satan and all of his demons of hell because they were powerless to stand against God. And not only is Jesus our deliverer, he's our sustainer. He sustains us by his word, through his spirit, for all who are in Christ. This is the promised fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I'll give you a a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. Listen church, this morning we're invited to join the psalmist in our own antiphonal song of praise. To God for his faithfulness. It would sound like this. God, you entered into our humanity. For his love has no end. Jesus, you defeated Satan, our enemy. For his love has no end. Holy Spirit, you indwell and sustain us with life-giving power. For his love has no end. Jesus, you've forgiven us of our sin. For his love has no end. Jesus, you reconciled us to the Father. For his love has no end. Jesus, you've secured for us eternity. For his love has no end. We, we celebrate God's faithfulness. He is faithful to his people. He is faithful to us even when we are faithless. So we're invited to praise God along with the psalmist 
because God's faithful deliverance is our salvation. And we're invited to praise God along with the psalmist because God's faithful provision is our redemption. We see this in verses 23 through 26. God's provision reaches beyond Israel. In fact, this shows God's heart for the nations and for his creation. It reaches to all flesh. He provides food to all flesh or for all flesh. He's good. And in God's great wisdom, he provided from the bounty of the earth to feed his people, to feed his creation. God is good to provide physical substance for our sustenance. But I want you to know that God is also good and that he's merciful. And this is why the psalmist ends in the way he began. Verses 1 through 3 of praise. Verse 26, give thanks. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Notice in verses 23 and 24 how the psalmist reflects on God's mercy. It's he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. As I reflected on that statement for the psalmist, trying to put myself in the psalmist position, I, I thought, who was Israel? Who was Israel that God would choose such a small and insignificant people to set aside and to set his love on? How merciful for God to choose this people. This is what Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8 says. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And as I reflect upon this truth in my own life and in the life of Crosspoint as a congregation, I can't help but think how wonderful God's mercy is toward us. For he's remembered us in our lowest state. And he's delivered us from our foe. Who am I? That God would look upon my life and draw me into salvation. Call me out of darkness into his light. Who are you? Who are we? In the span of all creation. In the span of all history. Who are we? We're servants of God. We're people that he has set his love upon. And he's given us a mission. And that mission is to make disciples of all nations. For the people of Israel, every aspect of their story hinged on God's steadfast love. In church, I want you to hear me this morning. Every aspect of Crosspoint's story, of your story, hinges on God's steadfast love. From the beginning, through each pastor that he's brought here, to the church plant in Mid-City, to the great work that God has done through Crosspoint among all nations, Crosspoint's story hinges on God's faithfulness. He's placed us here at the corner of Airline and Highland, and he's done it for a reason. And through the vision given to the Crosspoint Charter members, our campus is positioned uniquely at this great crossroads. It's positioned uniquely to impact the surrounding community. 
and our people are positioned throughout the city so that we might take the name of Christ to our neighborhoods and to the nations. And so I want you to know that God is faithful to accomplish his mission through his church. And Crosspoint, we are God's church. We're part of the big church, but we are God's church. And so I want to encourage us and challenge us in the days coming, even today as we continue to celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness toward us. I want to challenge us to remember that God is faithful and he wants to use Crosspoint in the midst of this city and throughout the nations. God's provision, it is the provision of redemption. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. I've told this story before, but I I wanted to share it one, perhaps one last time. You remember the story of the little boy who built the model sailboat, right? And this model sailboat was very near and dear to him. And as he was sailing it one day in the creek, a gust of wind came and ripped the string out of his hand. And as it flowed down the creek, he followed as closely as he could until ultimately the creek led into a lake and the lake was big and the wind took the sailboat seemingly across the lake until it was out of sight from the little boy. He was devastated. He had lost the one thing that he had worked so hard on. His prized creation was gone. About a month goes by and as he's walking through town, he noticed in the store owner's shop window a sailboat. And he thought to himself, could it be? And so he walked in, and he asked the shop owner, Mr., can I see that sailboat in the window? And the shop owner handed it to him, and upon inspection, he realized, this is, in fact, the boat that I built. This is my boat. And so he tells the shop owner, this is my boat. And the shop owner says to him, son, I paid for that. If you want it, you'll have to pay $5. So he runs home, empties his piggy bank, goes through every couch cushion, scrounges up $5, runs back to the shop, and pulls these mass two massive coins out of his pocket and puts them on the counter and says to the shop owner, Mr., I'd like my boat now. And the shop owner, with a smile, gives the boat to the young boy. And as the young boy is walking out, he grips the boat in his arms and he says, you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I've bought you. This is the story of God's redeeming love for his people. This is the story of God's faithfulness to his people. That we are twice his. That first he made us. He created us in his goodness and in his faithfulness. And then secondly, he came and he bought us at the price of his own life. When Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross. This morning we're invited with the psalmist to join the chorus of the church eternal by singing and publicly declaring God is good and his steadfast love endures forever. I want you to know that if this isn't your song this morning, it can be. You can surrender your life to Christ by turning from your sin. This is called repentance and placing your faith in Christ who created you and paid the ultimate price for your salvation. So church... Let us sing in response to the Lord's work in our lives. God is good. He's our faithful creator. He's our strong deliverer. He is the Lord of heaven and earth.
Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, for ultimately the, the greatest act of faithfulness in the way that you loved us, even beyond our worth. For we were not worthy of Christ's sacrifice. But, oh, Father, you deemed, you deemed us worthy by the blood of Christ. And you have made a way for us to know you through Christ our Savior. And so, Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, even in spite of our faithlessness so often. And we ask, God, that as we celebrate your goodness toward us today, Lord, this would be the, the preeminent thought in our minds that you are good and that you are faithful. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness toward us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.